From Washington, VOA presents Issues in the News. Hello and welcome to Issues in the News. I'm Kim Lewis and joining me on the panel this week via Skype are VOA Senior Diplomatic Correspondent Cindy Sane and Washington Correspondent for Project 10 TV Australia, Michael Williams. Welcome, Cindy and Michael. Thank you, Kim. Thank you so much, Kim. Well, here are the issues. The United States and African nations were racing to secure an extension of a ceasefire in Sudan, with the Sudanese army saying it had given an initial nod to an African proposal calling for talks, even as heavy fighting continued. Hundreds of people have been killed in nearly two weeks of conflict between the army and a rival paramilitary force. China says it will send a peace envoy to Ukraine and other countries and that it wants to act as a mediator in the war between Ukraine and Russia. Both Chinese leader Xi Jinping and Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky confirmed they spoke with each other on the phone Wednesday, a conversation Kyiv has been asking for. The German Air Force reported three Russian military reconnaissance aircraft were intercepted in international airspace over the Baltic Sea. German officials said the aircraft flying without their transponders on were intercepted by German and British planes. Well, here in the U.S., President Biden formally announced that he would seek a second term, arguing that American democracy still faces a profound threat from former President Donald Trump as he set up the possibility of a climatic rematch between the two next year. The announcement on Monday that Fox News was parting ways with its top primetime host, Tucker Carlson, stunned supporters of Donald Trump. Senator J.D. Vance, an Ohio Republican who was a close ally of both Mr. Trump and Mr. Carlson, described the Fox News host ousting as a shock. Singer-actor civil rights advocate Harry Belafonte died at the age of 96. He beat the odds in a historic rise to stardom, the first black man to win a Tony, the first black man to win an Emmy, the first artist to record an album that sold one million copies. Belafonte also became a civil rights activist, a confidant to the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., a friend of the marginalized and a globe-trotting humanitarian. Well, those are the issues, and let's get started. Well, Cindy, there are so many angles to this crisis occurring in Sudan. First, what are some of the latest developments involving a permanent ceasefire? Well, as we are speaking right now, Kim, the situation is very volatile and there is gunfire being reported. VOA has a correspondent who is making the treacherous journey to Port Sudan, just as many other uh, foreign nationals and Sudanese people are doing, because as everyone knows, the international airport in Khartoum is closed and people are trying to get to Port Sudan to board ships to get out. So the situation is very, very tenuous indeed at the state. Department, we had the Kenyan foreign minister visiting, and he said his country was offering to mediate. And it's interesting that he also called on other countries to stay out of it and try not to foment the fighting, saying some Middle Eastern countries were sort of encouraging the fighting without naming any names. So as we all know, Sudan is in such a critical strategic position, bordering on so many different countries, and all the world is watching as these two warring generals are going at it again, with a lot of analysts saying, you know what, this was very predictable, because these two generals 
basically cut their teeth in the brutal Darfur crisis and why did the U.S. and the U.K. and the United Nations and others really believe that they would be willing to hand over power to a civilian government? Yeah, I kind of agree with what everything that you said, and that was a great summation of where we are now. Speaking with a Sudanese friend, one comment that he made I thought that was very astute was that you have the two sides under the two generals, and neither one is willing to negotiate, and neither one is able to win. And so you have a civilian population that is seemingly constantly under crisis and under stress that is clearly bearing the brunt of this latest outbreak of violence. You mentioned the countries that are offering their services. Israel has offered their services. Of course, the UN, the United States, Russia is making incursions and offering weapons in exchange for access to gold mines and other valuable natural resources. There are seemingly a number of parties that have a stake in attempting to resolve this crisis in some meaningful way and getting to military warlords who are bent on having control individually from one or the other. The world is trying to move this into a civilian-controlled government. There is a lot of resistance to that. And then you have another group of parties, outside parties, I think, who have a stake in continued conflict. They actually benefit from the conflict. So there need to be, I think, credible actors at the table who are willing to negotiate and looking for a place to get to, whether that's to starting with just a ceasefire, but how can there be a reasonable transition from two very, very violent and very, very motivated strongmen generals into a civilian government? I don't clearly see a pathway to that at this point, but hopefully when enough parties get to the table who are serious about it, we can find that pathway. Yes, and also when you look at how this conflict is affecting the security of neighboring countries, and you also look at Egypt, who is finding itself in a dilemma, because it is close to one of the two sides in the fighting, that's Sudan's army. Meanwhile, the other side, the Rapid Support Forces, is believed to be backed by the United Arab Emirates, which is a major financial supporter of Egypt. And then you have many Sudanese who have been fleeing and are still fleeing to Egypt for safety. What situation really is Egypt in at this point? That's a good point, Kim. And Egypt, as you said, does uh, support Sudan's army and General al-Burhan and has really kind of made no bones about that and has also made no bones about they really don't have any interest at all in a civilian-led government in Sudan. And then you have the Russian base and Russian-backed Wagner forces, who one analyst told me it looks quite likely that they are supplying arms to the other side, to the rebel paramilitary force, the rapid support forces. As Michael said, there's a lot of different parties involved in this. And the real people bearing the brunt, of course, are the Sudanese civilians. And as we're speaking now, we don't even know hundreds are dead and thousands more are injured. And the hospital situation is very bad. Some people are sheltering at home without water. So the U.S. is setting up a, a USAID, a humanitarian operation in Kenya to try to get at least humanitarian aid to the civilians so that they can survive as long as this conflict goes on. And can I just add real quickly about Egypt? There's this situation with the Renaissance Dam, which Egypt has long considered, I think its words are an existential threat because it would control the flow of water to Egypt from Ethiopia in that direction. And Egypt has considered Sudan an ally in opposing this dam, or at least being an ally in trying to weigh in on the management of water from that project. And now 
all of that comes into play and becomes another pawn in this whole desperate situation because millions of civilians, again, bearing the brunt of this military conflict, face food and water insecurity because of what does or doesn't happen with that dam project. So again, so many moving parts, so many people who are involved in this crisis, but the people who are really at-risk individuals are the civilian population. So hopefully they will be able to really get a permanent ceasefire in Sudan because it is really turning into a humanitarian crisis there. Well, in our next topic, the German Air Force reported three Russian military reconnaissance aircraft were intercepted in international airspace over the Baltic Sea. So was this a concerning development? Well, I think is it a serious development? Yes. When you have military aircraft involved, it's always the serious thing. German and British fighters intercepted the aircraft in international airspace over the Baltic. And I believe it was two Su-27 aircraft and one other that were flying, according to the German armed forces, without a transponder signal, which is a standard procedure so that you can be identified. NATO forces are patrolling this area over the Baltic Sea because you have NATO partners there who don't have their own air force, so NATO covers that. When you look at this particular incident, I don't think it represented a specific danger to anyone, but it does represent this continued sense of adventure by Vladimir Putin to push the NATO alliance and see where its weaknesses are, what its tendencies are, what it will do if he does any particular thing. He is clearly trying to feel out the willingness of the NATO alliance and if there are any weaknesses and what will or not fracture or at least weaken that alliance. And up to until this point, he hasn't found a weakness there. But I think he will continue with these sort of military adventures, I think is the word I just keep coming up with, to try to explore and probe for weakness in the Western alliance. Yes, and Chinese leader Xi Jinping, he called Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky over a month after Xi's meeting with Russia's leader Vladimir Putin in Russia. However, a tweet from Zelensky said that she offered no solutions to Russia's war on Ukraine. So, Cindy, really, what was the purpose of she's call to Zelensky? Well, that's a very good question, Kim, and it caught a lot of our attention, observers who've been watching the whole situation. And Zelensky had repeatedly said that he would like to talk to the Chinese leader, Xi, and then all of a sudden we get this call, which we hear was about an hour long, and with Zelensky at first saying, you know, that it was productive and with China really sort of going all out to publicize the call, sending out their spokespeople and saying that China is interested in peace and that China is not going to do anything to inflame or prolong the conflict. And, you know, China sort of saying, look over here, you know, look what we are doing. But I spoke to some experts who follow uh, the whole situation very closely, and they were mainly skeptical about China in the role of a peacemaker. As we know, China so far has not even condemned the Russian invasion of Ukraine. They have not asked Russia to pull out its troops, as the German foreign minister recently did when she was standing in Beijing. And so far, whatever they said have not, any kind of thing they've said about a possible ceasefire has not involved the withdrawal of, of Russian troops from Ukraine. So experts are telling me there really is not a whole lot of substance to what happened with China. And if you asking me, Kim, back to your question, why? Some say, okay, China has been trying to, we saw that they were able to mediate between Saudi Arabia and Iran. 
and that they're trying to, you know, take on this diplomatic role to bolster their image also in Europe. And that there's also economic reasons because before the war, I believe that China was Ukraine's biggest trading partner with Ukraine supplying a lot of grain to China. So that's just some thoughts that I had. Well, I thought it was interesting, the language that was used officially in talking about this particular phone call where Xi tells Zelensky, I think the quote is, the current rise of reasonable thinking and voices from all sides, we should seize the opportunity to build up favorable conditions for a political settlement of the crisis. And that's some pretty fancy diplomatic speak from a guy who's essentially a dictator. I just find it interesting how China is positioning itself as a peacemaker on the uh, world stage when the U.S. abdicated that position for a brief period. And, you know, nature does not like a vacuum. And it's, it's, it's attempting to fill that role. There will be an ambassador, a representative to Ukraine from China. And that person is also interesting to me. It's a special representative for Eurasian Affairs, Li Hui. He is a former Chinese ambassador to Russia and received a friendship medal from Vladimir Putin in 2019. So clearly, this is a friend of Vladimir Putin's who will have a certain bent or tent, let's say, on the conversation. Look, people are looking to China because China has this working relationship with Russia in the hopes that you can bring Russia to the table to seek a political situation rather than a military situation, much like I believe the Northern Ireland, Ireland situation was years ago. Neither party is going to be able to shoot its way to a victory. They're going to have to talk themselves into a settlement and agree that it's a victory. So this is the path you know, to try to get people to understand there's no winning this, but there is a resolving this. Yes, I agree. Very interesting developments there that we will continue to follow. And it's time now for a quick break. And when we return, President Biden makes his reelection campaign official. Issues in the News is coming to you from the Voice of America in Washington. If you would like to download the program, it's free on iTunes. Just click on the iTunes tab on our website at voanews.com issues. While you're there, check out our other programs, Press Conference USA and Encounter. Also visit us on Facebook and leave a comment or two. Then like us at Current Affairs with Carol Castiel. Now back to our panel via Skype. VOA Senior Diplomatic Correspondent Cindy Sane and Washington Correspondent for Project 10 TV Australia, Michael Williams. While President Biden officially announced his re-election campaign in a video that opens with images of a mob of Trump supporters storming the Capitol on January 6, 2021, Biden said that the fight for our democracy has been the work of his first term, but is incomplete while his predecessor mounts a comeback campaign for his old office that Biden suggested would endanger fundamental rights. So do Democrats in general want to see another term for Biden? Well, Kim, actually, most polls show that they don't. Some 70 percent of the country say that President Biden should not run again, including, according to one poll, at least 51 percent of Democrats. And the numbers are not good for him. And they're also not good for his potential opponent, former President Donald Trump. I believe it's the Quinnipiac poll that has Biden's disapproval rating at 56 percent and Trump's disapproval rating at 58 percent. In the case of President Biden, most people cite his age 
he is 80 as the main factor that they would like to see someone younger. And some people are pointing to Vice President Kamala Harris, who is much younger. She's 58. Unfortunately, her poll numbers are also underwater as she's been given the difficult task of, you know, the problems at the border, migration, kind of thorny issues. So if she could improve her approval ratings, it could also give a boost to Biden because some people are thinking, okay, if he's 80 now, you know, there could be a real risk of health problems. But, you know, I don't want to sound ageist. I think you should look at a person's overall health and vigor. And President Biden, you know, (laughs) is out there riding a bike and doing all sorts of things. But that's just telling you what the polls are saying so far. Yeah, I think the polls are fascinating, aren't they? Because they talk a lot about Democrats, for example, wanting to have an alternative to Joe Biden. But when you see that next question in the poll is, would you vote for Donald Trump as president? The interesting numbers are with independents, when I believe 29% of independents said they would not vote for President Trump if he was in an election against Joe Biden. And um, the independent vote it is what will win the election. You have to snag that ever shrinking, but still significant middle to win that general election. I think it's a great point about Kamala Harris being on the ticket, being younger, being vital to Joe Biden's, as a counterpoint to Joe Biden's obvious experience and now his age, which is being considered a weakness or a liability. But the same holds true for Trump if he is, in fact, the Republican nominee, as it appears as though he will be. Who he chooses as a vice presidential candidate will be significant in trying to maybe leaven or moderate his positions, his extreme conservative positions, outlandish right-wing positions. Maybe there's someone who can garner that middle, that 29%, and shrink that number for him without losing the base that he so relies on. It's just so interesting to me that these two men, we have 177 and 180, and it just occurs to me that you know, in 20 years or so, I'll be ready to run for president, apparently. You know, I, I still have <laughs> Yeah, that is a very good point. And also another aspect to this is the announcement on Monday that Fox News was parting ways with its top-rated primetime host, Tucker Carlson, stunned supporters of Donald Trump. So how will Carlson's departure affect conservative Americans and supporters of Donald Trump? Well, it's a very interesting question. How will it affect his supporters? And I would say minimally. I don't think it changes discourse. Fox News, led by Rupert Murdoch, has a playbook. And you can pretty much say whatever you want on the air, and you can pretty much do whatever you want in the office unless somebody starts to talk about it in court. If you make the money on the air, they're fine with it. If you cost the money in court, you're gone. And you can look at the track record of people like Glenn Beck and Bill O'Reilly, who have been their previous air quotes, irreplaceable number one top hosts who have been replaced and other people, including Tucker Carlson, have become their top hosts. Rupert Murdoch believes that it is his soapbox and his megaphone that are more important than any one personality. And so far, that has proven to be true. Likely, Tucker Carlson, with his audience, will get another position somewhere else. And he's already broken his silence about this situation, saying that he will find a place to, quote unquote, tell the truth, dripping with irony, in my humble opinion. But the discourse, I don't believe, will change because they will find somebody else who will stand in that position at that time slot and say those things that those people want to hear. So in changing personalities, yes, and changing the discourse, I don't think so. Okay, let's get to our last topic. 
We want to pay tribute to Harry Belafonte, a singer, actor, civil rights advocate, and international humanitarian who died Tuesday at the age of 96. His 1956 album, Calypso, which included Jamaica Farewell and Deo, his version of the Banana Boat song, charted at number one for a staggering 31 weeks. But Belafonte was so much more than his music. I'll agree with that. He was so much more than his music. He was a humanitarian. He was a vital and powerful civil rights advocate, a friend of Martin Luther King and the generations of leaders that followed him. I had the great pleasure and honor of meeting Harry Belafonte and his family in Hong Kong when I was living there. And you rarely see a combination of intellect, talent, warmth, humor that combines into something that's even more rare called grace. He's one of those people when you knew that he was in the room and you missed him when he left it, and he will certainly be missed. Yes, and another just little tidbit of his activism, he was a supporter of Senator John F. Kennedy's 1960 presidential campaign, and he sang at Kennedy's inaugural gala and was named cultural advisor to the then newly created Peace Corps. So it's just a little tidbit there that maybe a lot of people didn't know about. And also, he broke so many color barriers in the movie industry. For example, in 1957, he stirred controversy when he became the first Black American actor to play a romantic lead in a feature movie opposite a white leading lady, that was Joan Fontaine, in the Caribbean set film Island in the Sun. His appeal was to both Black and white audiences. Absolutely. Yes, that's definitely right, Kim. And I unfortunately never got to meet him. That's wonderful, Michael, that you did. But I just remember as a child hearing the Deo song, and it's like it sort of opened my eyes to the rest of the world and just so infectious with the callback and kind of not realizing that basically in that song, you know, what Jamaican folk song sticks up for the rights of workers and for working people and got Americans singing along perhaps without even realizing it. So he was an activist before he was such a successful legend entertainer. And he can hopefully really rest in peace knowing he fought the good fight all the way up until age 96. Yes, and he has certainly left a fantastic legacy. Well, it's time now to find out what is weighing on the minds of our panelists this week. So, Michael, what is weighing on your mind this week? It sort of has something to do with that Tucker Carlson story in Fox. And I believe there's a need in society for news and for entertainment. But the line between news and entertainment began to blur some time ago. And that occurs to me that at a time when there's more information than ever that's readily available and to be accurately and fairly reported, News outlets are motivated by revenue to give extreme versions of what they believe will attract eyes, and politicians do the same to appeal to their base and while positioning themselves as, quote, independent thinkers. But a free society requires a grounding in facts and in truth, and we need media who want to present truth and a populace that wants to absorb it. But we're now in a position where people are using the so-called news to affirm themselves rather than to inform themselves and we could use a little less of that. Thank you. And to Cindy. Well, I would agree with what Michael said. And I think many would agree that Tucker Carlson was a particularly divisive 
figure. And just seeing it sometimes his show, there would be Democrats on the left want all Americans to be eating bugs. And it can seem sort of ridiculous or caricaturish, but it did have an impact. And some pastors are saying that he really had a negative effect on dividing their congregations. And of course, he himself says that he was speaking the truth and saying things that other people don't say. But I remember there again, when I was a child, that we had a fairness doctrine and there was sort of equal time. If there was going to be an opinion on one issue on national television, then the other side would get that same amount of time. And I also am nostalgic for those days. And we will close the show on those thoughts. And my thanks go to our panelists, VOA Senior Diplomatic Correspondent Cindy Sane and Washington Correspondent for Project 10 TV Australia, Michael Williams. I'm Kim Lewis, and thanks for joining us for Issues in the News. 